my name is Akriya Jamfi from the British Blacklist. Please could you introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Shay Cole and I am an actor. Hello, I'm Alex Sweetall and I am a writer. Hello, both of you, and thank you for um, speaking with me today. Alex, what was your first conversation with Shay when you met him? And what was most important for you to get across to him when embarking on this project? First conversation, I cannot remember exactly. I just wanted him to uh, know that if he needs any help, any advice, I'm available. You know, he can call me anytime he wants to. I didn't want to kind of hound him, say, oh, you got this wrong, you got that. No, I, I wanted him to um, organically find a role. And if he needed any um, help or advice, then I was available for him to contact. And was there anything that, though you didn't want to hound him, because I can imagine I'd be like, yes, no, this is how I talk and this is what I do. But though you wanted to be a bit hands off, was there anything yeah. that you felt was important that like, no matter what, he had free reign, but this was the essence of who you were, the, 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 the part of your life that he was portraying? Was there anything that you just really wanted to get right? I think Shay understood that even before our first meeting. He knew that it was a story of belonging and finding one's identity. And Shay had all those qualities already uh, that he brought to the project. So we was all fantastically delighted with him. And obviously his performance, I think, is, is brilliant. So you will see for yourself on Sunday. I've already seen it and I love it. It's actually my favourite out of the five. Everyone's done a good job with this one. Throwing it to you, Shay, what was the most important thing that you needed to know or wanted to know from Alex? And also knowing that you'll be portraying a living person that you could touch and, you know, and be in, interact with, you know, he's still here. I think for me, it was getting to know what type of person Alex is. For me, it was uh, also about just having a conversation and getting his vibe and essence. I also feel that the script was so well written that there were so many things that were just popping up to me anyway and popping out that I didn't need to specifically ask Alex all these quite like specific questions. It was just more about getting a sense of who he is and his quality and through that, letting allow that to come through my performance and how, yeah, inevitably the Alex that we see on, on the screens on Sunday. Alex, I think you're credited as a consultant. That's correct, yeah. Also, how does that work when someone's got a script? And again, this is me pushing in my busybody personality like well if it's my story and this is the script and there's anything that I didn't like I'm like I'm gonna put a big red pen through it but <laughs> how were you consulted and how much could you come well, up that, um, what happened I was part of the uh, the writers room a okay. collection of writers that Steve had assembled to uh, discover and uh, debate and inform what themes and issues we wanted to address in small acts and this is four or five years ago, so it's quite a time ago now. And through this process, Steve came to the writer's room one morning and he said he's really thinking about a story that is of a young black man, uh, perhaps who's had experience of um, being in institutions, children's homes and so forth. One of my fellow writers, Alistair Siddons, he looked at me and said, Alex, your story, I mean, I, I know about your story, so maybe we could think about that. And Steve looked at me and kind of said to me, Alex, are you holding out on me? So for the rest of the day, I related my tale, my journey. And Steve was like, at the end, we got to do this. we got to do this. Genius, genius, we got to do this. That's how it came about. Initially, Steve wanted me to write the script, but I felt too close to it especially to revisit traumatic scenes of my past, because when you're writing a script, you have to revisit certain elements of that script through the process. And I felt I wasn't really prepared for that. And so Alistair stepped in and he co-wrote it with um, Steve. 
so I didn't even know that you came in to come in as a writer, but then it became your story. Wasn't it planned? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And no, it wasn't planned at all. What I was going to ask was exactly that. I resonated with this. I think I resonated the most because I wasn't in care, but I've been fostered. It's known as farming in this, as depicted in like Adewale's farming film and Shola's The Last Tree. So I think that's why there's an element of, oh, mate, similar things. Do you ever, when you meet people who have either been in care or, like I said, been farmed, do you have that kindred knowing? Is there something that when you meet people who have had similar experiences, that there's a knowing and a familiarity that you guys have, maybe an unsaid something? I don't know if you ever get that. There is a connection there of a, a, a shared struggle, if you like. And that struggle is, most of it is, can we fit in? Can we belong to whatever group that we're trying to belong to? And uh, that was the struggle with me. Can I fit in? And I think that struggle is universal. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're a black Brit in Surrey or Brixton or Norwich or Edinburgh or around the world. I think that struggle plays out almost every day for those who are disconnected from their communities. Very, very true. And... Shay, so how did you empathise, and I'm going to hope and assume that your upbringing was different to yes. being in care and being fostered or anything like that. So, and what does it take for an actor to bring to life a character whose experience is so different from your own? I know this is your first job, so maybe, I mean, but what would you do? What tools did you arm yourself with? My uncle was actually in foster care. Okay. Um, so I had heard stories about his upbringing as well. Before I even knew such a thing as small acts, you know, so I guess that was there. But also, again, going back to the writing, I feel that when, especially when it comes to emotion, you don't ever want to force an emotion or like, because then it's not believable. But when the writing's so good and you let the writing come through you, then you can really connect to these words and put yourself in your, these environments and situations. Also, being in prison as well, like we went to the prison. We were in a real prison, like that stuff you can't really fake. I've never been there before. So the stuff you're seeing Obviously, it's an element of acting, but no, I was scared. It was cold. It was empty. Mm. And there was also no young cast. So it was literally me, Robbie, at the time, and all the crew. So that sense of isolation, that sense of uh, kind of like aloneness, it, it was truly felt. Yeah. And it does come across. And I mean, Alex, how do you, you mentioned that, you know, going through this story and telling it and reliving it and then seeing it on screen. It is, it would be traumatic. And I, you know, even in watching, when I watched Farming and watching um, this small acts film, there's some things that get tapped and you're not necessarily prepared for it. So how do you, how have you, and then how do you, and did you manage those type of emotions when things trigger, even though it was a long time ago, carrying those scars? So how do you manage it just in your everyday life and then seeing your story on screen? Well, first of all, I was consulted every separate way. When Alistair um, was progressing with his script, he would send me, you know, the first 15 pages and, and so on. But I think over the years, I've learned to protect myself somewhat. And also, I've seen great poverty in my life and great hardship. I've traveled widely, facilitated, created writing workshops in townships in South Africa and so on. I've been down to Kingston in Jamaica and, you know, in downtown where... People have no food, no water, no anything. And so sometimes I do feel a bit blessed 
that um, at least I was able, you know, no matter what my starting life was, I'm able to stand up on my feet and um, manage to form a life, if you like, a creative life, where so many others around the world do not have the opportunity. And so I do not like to think that I'm a victim. I like to think that, you know, I'm a progressive. I've conquered that, if you like, and I can move on and I could share whatever I've learned and pass it on to those who maybe feel like I did when I was very young. What's it like seeing Robbie in scene as the dread, the guy that, you know, you said there was a dread that shaped you when you were inside? And then seeing and Shay and Robbie in that space, like obviously it triggered memories, but how, how surreal was it? That was an amazing scene. Oh my gosh, when I saw that, I remember uh, asking uh, the executive producer, um, how are you going to find this guy to play this role? And uh, she said to me, oh, they've got their mind on Robbie G and he auditioned really well. And I remember Robbie from um, Desmond, so I, I, I couldn't quite picture him in yes. that scene. But, oh, my God, it, it certainly triggered what a performance he gave because you have to remember it's a confined space and he has to do all his acting, all his expressions in that confined space. I was just blown away by it, the um, intensity of it. It really was like that. It was really intense because, again, you're working in small, close quarters, if you like, and um, the way he impacted a young me or Shay was... I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes through. And I just, just another question for you. I recently spoke to an author friend of mine, Dee Dee Armstrong, who's got a new book coming out. Do you know Dee Dee? I was his mentor at yes. one point. Oh, what am I saying? Yes, you were. Yeah. My God. So, yes, he yeah. told me. I literally, this is me being yeah. a lady. I literally spoke to him last week and he said, Alex mentored. So, yes, yeah, so this mentorship thing, and he had the similar journey to you that when he was inside, there was someone in his cell that, like, listen, get your mind off the road, get your mind in the books, and he's become an yeah. author. Similar to you. So the importance of mentorship and then you becoming a mentor, just maybe just something on that, like how mentors have been impactful in your life. Oh, in our community, it's, it's crucial, mm. uh, vital that we have figures like that, like your Robbie G's or um, your Simeon's, to um, find something in our young because sometimes it's so easily dismissed. Oh, that boy has issues. He's always losing his temper. He's always bitter, he's always angry. But sometimes it takes a patience of somebody like Simeon to see something good in those youngsters and try to draw out what is good in them and to set them on the right path. I mean, we need the Simeons of this world more than ever, I think. Absolutely. And Shay, what was the value in being around someone like Alex and Steve and even Robbie the elders, because sometimes I think there can be a generational disconnect in our daily lives, it's, let alone when we're talking about the OGs of our industry and the wisdom they can impart, but also what they can learn from being around the new generation. What was it like soaking up the energy of all these guys that have been there, done that, but also, you know, you're coming into new young sensei, as it were? I just felt blessed, blessed. The, the inspiration I was getting from everyone, the guidance, the wisdom, seeing your career paths and your career journeys, it just, pushed me to continue on what I'm doing and to continue to the level that everyone's doing, especially, you know, in the industry, seeing what Steve's doing, seeing people of color being pioneers um, in, in writing, in acting, in directing, going, it's possible, it's doable, I'm going to do it. And also it, the fact that they were giving me so much time, as Alex said, like his phone was always there. If I ever needed to call him, I could call with Steve. If I ever needed to talk to him about something, he was there with Robbie G, like, you know, he would come up to me on set and be like, hey man, like, if I were you, I wouldn't be on your phone right now. Just little things, he's like, I just wouldn't be on your phone right now, man. 
and just to really get yourself and involve yourself in the world that we were trying to, uh, that we were making was such a job, such a job. So to have people older than me putting in the time, putting in the effort, I was soaking it all up. I would have been a fool not to. I've worked with Robbie and I know Robbie, you know, just from being in industry and he's such a joker as well, as well as he's got that stern, you know, black man assured of himself. So it's even interesting him saying, I won't be on the phone right now. And there's a decision that you have to make as a young person. I mean, I'm a mother as well. So there's those kind of bits of throwaway information and advice that whether my child takes it or not, it's that decision that you've got to make that I'm going to listen or I'm like, you don't know nothing. I'm young. So I don't know, maybe I don't know what the question is, but there's something in that, that connection between the older and younger generation. Do you feel there needs to be more of that? And do you feel your generation wants more connection with the older generations? Or do you do you feel like you guys are like, we've got it all sorted, we don't need you, you kind of thing? I think, the, I was going to say, I think the smart ones, the smart ones always look at the people older than them, the people have been through it because they're the one, they, they've lived it and they're here to tell the tale. Like I'm 21. I could be going off the rails. I might not make it to 45, 50, but they have. So they have something to give. And credit to my uncle, my mum, my aunties. As my mum always says, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, my mum's a single mum. So she, we had a lot, of, a lot of people surrounding me, making sure that I stay on the right path. So yeah, definitely. We need that connect for sure. Yeah. In many aspects, um, it's more difficult for Shay's generation now because there are so many distractions. I mean, at least in my time, all we had was uh, free TV channels, maybe a couple of uh, pirate reggae radio stations, and we had our sound system dances that we could go to on a weekend. So it was quite easy for uh, someone like Simeon to enter our space and try to counsel and advise. But now, because there's so many distractions, I mean, even music, if you see the way where people, especially young people, consume music now, it's all on headphones and so on. It's never a shared, well, it is sometimes a shared experience, but not that often, not on an everyday basis, but I would have um, connected to music way back in my youth. And so I think there's a harder struggle now to reconnect the generations and make that kind of a work, if you like, where to, to sit a young person down and say, okay, this is what's what, this is what, you know, I think you should be doing or giving out wisdoms of advice. It's so much harder now to uh, find a time and, to actually do that, I feel. And so it's very important that a family member try to fill that gap, you know, because for so many others who don't have close-knit families, where do they get that advice or lead from? Mm, it's absolutely true. And I mean, going back to the fabric of your stories, Alex, I grew up in South London and I was going to Brixton every weekend to hang out in Red Records and like, <laughs> it was like almost religion. I grew up in Mitcham, Tooting Junction, and we'd literally walk through Streatham up to Brixton. We'd walk. And then we get the bus on the way back, but we walk. The one free free. One free free. Oh my gosh. What we, such a segue. We used to call the one free free the hot boy bus because I swear upstairs there was always hot boys. So that was our thing. Like we'll get the one free free later when it's a bit later in the evening. And then we'll get <laughs> sit with all the it was just so much nonsense. But it's part of our fabric. What do you miss about the Brixton you grew up in and in compar in comparison to the Brixton that's to, to today's Brixton? The music. Yeah. I mean, back in the late 70s, there must have been three or four, maybe even five reggae record shops that you could hang out in. There was a general shop in the market. There was Safano Bees. There was Desmond's Hip City. There was a couple of market stalls that played reggae all the time. No matter where you trod or walked, you heard reggae from council estates, tower blocks, every corner avenue. It was just there in the effort. You know, I really miss that about Brixton. 
and the fact that uh, most people knew each other and there was a respect, you know, for everybody. I mean, yes, there were beefs, just like they are now, but um, mostly of all, you know, you could walk down Brixton Hill, somebody be walking up who you don't know, and that someone would say to you, one love, one love, brother, you know, and you would return a compliment. And it added to my sense of belonging. Absolutely. I mean, it is that. It's exactly that. I mean, Shay, in your episode from Small Lives, was there anything that you picked up on that you were like, this isn't like today, and I kind of wish it was. Was there anything that you felt from it? I know you're acting in an, and it's all seen and sets and stuff, but was there a vibe that you kind of felt like, yeah, we need this today, or...? The scene where me and my co-star Elliot and Fumi are actually making the sound system from scratch. Yeah. We got the plywood, we sanded that down, we sawed it down and we made it together. That then is it, that's a different type, that's a community bit of vibe and feel. More time these days, you can just go to a shop, order it online or be in your house. Yeah. And then you go, ah, well, you know, I'm not really feeling that anymore. Just put it to the side. But when you actually have to go out, make it, sand it, put it all mm. together, it's like, now nah, we put blood, sweat and tears into this. So we're going to yeah. do, we do it right. That there would be, oh, we need more of that. We definitely need more of that. I was going to say, even the folklore, you know, Alex, I grew up with my mum warning me about going to parties because of the New Cross fire. And it was like, I was like, mum, I'm not going, I'm not even going anywhere near New Cross, but that was the folklore that we sat mm. under. So I wanted to ask, like, you know, it's been a first time in a long time, maybe not since Babylon and Burning Illusion and films like that, that we've had something on screen that's capturing British black history in such a way. But what kind of stories would you like to see on screen that we've not seen so far? Something that's missing. I'd like to see um, a lot more romantic comedy. You're in a romantic comedy, Shay. I am, yes. I can't give names or tell you too much until announcements have been made until I've been announced to be part of the cast, but um, I am in a romantic comedy, Black British, and it's brilliant. <laughs> That's what, it's honestly so much fun. So much fun that there's so much joy around set, love in the air. It's beautiful to have a story about us being humans and having human, just normal exchanges with other people, not focused on our trauma, our struggle, none of that. It's, it's lovely. It's really refreshing, really, really refreshing. I'm excited. Okay, back to you, Alex. Anything else? Like... Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that because that's so needed. I mean, we have, um, as black people, we have all kinds of narratives that we can bring forward to people's enjoyment, whether that be historical and centered around Brixton, or it could be sci-fi, it could be crime, it could be romantic comedy, it could be a thriller. We can fill all those gaps, you know, where people have many, many stories. And I'm really on that small axe, we kick off those stories. There's only been Brixton Rock, the short film I made about one of your books. So how come it's taken so long yeah. to get any of your stories on screen? Or is that that hidden story that we don't know about? Like you've been fighting for years trying to get something. Yes, yeah, it has been a long, long, long uh, struggle. It started with uh, Easter Baker Lane that the BBC yeah. had for three or four years and did nothing with it. I've been lucky enough to have uh, three or four plays put on, adapted from my books. And so um, watch your space. You know, I believe things are happening. The Compton series, my young adult book series, that has been optioned by Noah Clark's company. And so we're very, very close to a green light on that. So cross fingers. Hopefully we'll see that going to production in 2021. So there's lots lots to look forward to. Yes, there is. And I'm excited. And I, like I said, I, this is my favourite out of the Small Nuts films. You do a brilliant job, Shay. And you can think it's your first job. Like, OK, calm down. Trying to get an Oscar like tomorrow. Oh <laughs> 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 but it's really good. And Alex, I mean, 
it wouldn't be here without your story. And thank you for sharing your story through your books and then for it culminating in something like this. What have you guys, okay, Shay, we know that you've got some rom-com that you don't want to talk about. But Alex, what else have you got going? Have you got any books coming out next? My last book was Kane Warriors. That was published in October. And that's getting rave reviews. They're already talking about a film adaptation for that. It's been uh, books, book of the year in the Times and uh, just today in the Independent, the book of the year there. Uh, there's already talk of the stage kind of dance expression. So I'm in uh, discussions about that. So look out for that. And I want to ocean company. So I'm working on that. I've already filmed the short. Um, I don't want to build on that, you know, so in other words, I own a property, I own the content, and I want to uh, go forward with that in 2021. Okay, okay, so lots of stuff is coming from you both, and I'm excited. Wonderful speaking to you both. I can't wait to see what comes next. And um, yeah, I'm going to tell everybody to watch on Sunday, because this is, this is the good one, the best one. Oh, thank you. Sir. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.